Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and grace. We're looking this morning uh, part of the inheritance that you have designated for us, that is the kingdom. It is an awesome thing to think about and to discuss this rule over which you reign and we are subjects, gladly subjects to you in it. Awesome privilege. Help us to understand a little bit about what it means and that you would be honored for the things that we look at, the things that we say, be honored um, in our lives and how we respond. Thank you so much for your blessing upon our lives. And we ask for blessing upon this time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. We've been looking uh, in Colossians, and uh, Paul in Colossians has been expressing his gratitude to the Lord and to Jesus Christ for faith of those believers, those that have come to faith in Colossae. And so he has written a letter to the Colossians that we have been studying. And he says in verse 9, because of what, because of the faith in Christ and their love for the saints, he says in verse 9, for this reason, so also, since the day that we heard of it, have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That word knowledge is full knowledge, experiential knowledge. We will run into that word in our study this morning. But he wants them to be filled with this this emotional, deep fellowship and experiential understanding of the Lord and of his standing for us and his will for us and his purpose for us. And this, uh, this knowledge is different from what you have if you have false religions and stuff where there are cults and they have all kinds of superstitions. This is truth based upon God's word. And... Uh, kind of upholds our walk with the Savior as we walk in understanding and in knowledge and in, in the parameters that have been set up by his truth, by his doctrine. So he's just, he's praying in this passage previous to where we are going to be landing this morning before the inheritance, he's just been praying that they would be filled with this full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that their walk would have this wisdom and this understanding because of God's not the knowledge of the Lord. He goes on to say that you will walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. You get the idea that the Lord is a regal savior, a sovereign, and we want to represent him in a manner that is worthy of that. We want to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in this full knowledge of God, and strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. These are just, I know we've gone through these, but these are just pregnant with meaning. Uh, the attaining of, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, that's endurance and patience with people, and joyously giving thanks to the Father who has, and here we come now to our inheritance, who has qualified us because we are sinners and that we, we need this external qualification and equipment in order to be able to 
conform to to his perfect will and to inherit the blessings he has for us so he has qualified us I'm just losing my place here as we run kind of back up. Strength with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patient endurance, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For the for the for he rescued us from the domain of darkness. That domain you could translate. Uh, jurisdiction or rulership or authority uh, he rescued us from the jurisdiction of darkness which we won't be mentioning this morning but in addition to god's kingdom is the kingdom of darkness you have two kingdoms that are kind of battling against each other and he has rescued us from this domain or rulership of darkness and has transferred us notice the effect of this it's not something that we're hoping but this is an actual transformation this is an actual transfer transferring us from from the, this the uh, where we were to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and so it's in this this passage here that speaks of the inheritance and the kingdom that we want to look at because it's important when we talk about a kingdom in the New Testament sense, we usually think of a sphere where Christ reigns as the sovereign head of state and uh, he is the monarch and we are his subjects. We are joyfully his subjects. He is over. The kingdom has to have a king and the king has to have subjects. And uh, this is what this kingdom is. And we want to look at it just briefly because it's part of what we're going to be part of. In fact, we are already part of it. And it's, it's important to understand a little bit about, I think, where we are and what we are doing. And uh, when does the kingdom exist? There are passages that make it uh, present the kingdom as being uh, spoken of in past tense. Paul in Romans 14, 7 says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Uh, and I think part of that reference would be to Jewish celebrations of feasts and festivities and things of that nature. But the kingdom of God is not just the physical aspect of eating and drink, drinking, but it is, and notice it is speaking in the present tense, it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's a relationship, it's the Christian living that has these things, these blessings, and that we are part of this relationship and he uses that as where we are right now. Um, similar to, I think, of the Beatitudes, where Jesus said, um, Blessed are the, the poor in the spirit, in spirit. Well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is. The, the blessed are, happy are those, fortunate are those who recognize their spiritual poverty that they don't have all the answers, that they come in a bankrupt state before the Lord. Blessed and happy are those who have that, that the awareness of their inadequacies because they are the ones that are part of the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones that will inherit this. God's standard is somewhat different from the standard of men on earth. And uh, his standard is he is looking for 
he, he pours out his mercy uh, and his grace on the humble, those that, that come as the publican did, not standing up in front, but at the back of the temple and not even looking up to heaven, but bowing his head and asking the Lord to be merciful to me, a sinner. But Jesus commended that man. And uh, the righteous Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee, who was so proud about what he had and how he had been blessed so much and he was this and that and the other, went away not justified, but this sinner, this publican, went away justified because he had humbled, he had been humbled before God and recognized his humility. That's a lesson for me. I pastor a church. It's easy for people to talk about me in glowing terms sometimes. This is pastor of a church and stuff like this, but blah, blah, blah. But the, there's, the, the only prophet that comes in my life is a prophet that comes from the Lord and the benefit that comes from him. We need to be humble by that. That's that's a, kind of a dedication of those that are in his kingdom. Um, and so that speaks of it kind of in the past tense, but there's also the future tense. Jesus, remember that in the, the uh, Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That speaks of future tense in a way. And uh, the terms that, that he's using there in that phrase, he's using an aorist imperative, which is a call for definite, uh, definite action. Uh, that's the Lord's prayer. And it's twice in that verse, one with the kingdom coming and one with the will be done. He's just praying very strongly to be sure that this happens. The kingdom come without any, any wishy-washy and wishy-washiness and your will be done without any hesitation, without any wishy-washiness. And so he's praying that. And so it just, it makes it makes us aware that the kingdom is, it's a hard thing to kind of pin down exactly mm -hmm. at this time, but it seems to be this relationship that we have with the Lord as his subjects and he is king. And, um, and it's a good thing. We are to seek it. We are to, to seek to be, involved in it um he says one of my wife's favorite verses uh matthew 6 33 used to say uh, talk about seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you luke 12 is a is a, that same idea in luke's gospel where uh, jesus said do not seek after what you will eat or what you will drink and do not keep worrying uh, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek after but your father knows that you have need of these things and just stop there for a moment these are these are normal things that that we would like to to pursue um, and to have meet our needs and take care of us take care of our food take care of our clothing take care of our retirement take care of our transportation these are all things that and he's not saying i don't think in that passage don't work for these things but i think he's saying that the main priority of your life is bigger than just trying to get your your food and your drink and these other things met and so he says in face of that instead of putting your top priority on your life to eat and uh i know what that's like you know, everybody was teasing when i came in this morning coming from costas and I may be late for church, but I'm going to get my breakfast kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 
But eating is really not the main, most important thing in life. And the clothes is not the main or the most important thing of life. And so Jesus is saying, if you're going to seek something, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. This is just, and, and in the middle of that worry, in the middle of that concern, in the middle of that chaos that we are, that we're thinking about all the things we seek after, and now Jesus is saying, but seek his kingdom first. In the middle of that, Jesus says this, he says, stop your fearing, little flock, little flock. That's the term that he uses for, for us. Um, it, it, I think it's a, intended to show us how vulnerable we are and how weak we are and how easily scattered we are. He says, don't, don't stop your fearing, little flock. Your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. I mean, he's not, he is not waiting, begrudging and, and upset that you're, that you're doing these things that he wants to hold out. I, I know that we have trials. I know that the well situation, God has a hand in that. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's doing it, but I know he knows what he's doing. And uh, he may be doing it for him. He may be doing it for us, that the Lord teach us all lessons. We need these lessons. And uh, these times of trials are some of the best times we have. They really are, even though we don't like it. They are some of the best times and times that draw us to uh, throw us on our knees and, and draw us close to him. But he is well pleased to give us the kingdom and to work in our hearts and lives and to help us um, to attend, help us to listen. And so he, he, he just says here that your father is, is well pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing, unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth, moth destroys and I would add nor inflation take away. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Where your treasure is and this is what the Lord is doing. I'm confident of that. He is, he is focusing us and teaching us where to put our treasure, where our value really is. The value is not just here. It's with him. That's what he tells us to seek his kingdom and to put that as a priority. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Put your treasure where it really matters and your heart will follow. So we're told to seek God's kingdom, seek it for the purpose of living. Um, read Romans 14, it's, the kingdom is not just eating and drinking, but it's joy. It's a joyful, righteous, godly living in the Holy Spirit. How do we describe it? There's a very interesting passage that really stuck out to me. Uh, and I'm, obviously I'm kind of reading between the lines of some of these verses, but in Matthew 8, uh, 11 and 10, if you remember, there was a centurion that came to Jesus and said he had a servant that was sick unto death and would he uh, come and heal him. And then Jesus said, yes, I'll go. And he started out and then the, the servant, the, the, the centurion sent another servant to Jesus and said, stop, you don't have to come. I'm not worthy, is what he said. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and he'll be healed. Because I, just like you, and this is where the faith of this centurion was. The faith knew he was a man under authority. He had slaves, servants, and, and military personnel 
and all of them obeyed him because he had authority. And he turned to Jesus and he said, I know you are also a man under authority. And you can just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And the, the, the fulfillment of the rest of the verse is this, is what he says. He said, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First, just grasp the picture of what he's saying. If they're coming from east and west, and this is something that's taking place on the planet, because it wouldn't be east and west, it was located up somewhere up in the, in the heavens. So this is the kingdom he's talking about that's located here on the planet. And when he says recline at the table, you're talking about fellowship. I don't know if you ever think about it. I, you know, you, I've asked people, um, who would you, who do you want to see most when you get to heaven? Who do you want to talk to? That, I've got a list of people. I want to, one of the people I want to talk to is Job. I want to talk to him and find out just, I know we have the account there, but I want to get his words about this and know what, uh, what he has to say. And after saying this, probably when I get to heaven, he's going to be the first one to come over and say, you want to talk to me? <laughs> anyway, uh, but I would like to talk to him. And, and, and Paul is another one yeah, I'd like to talk to. I'd like to talk to, to uh, Jonah. And uh, also, I'd like to talk to my sweetheart, my wife. Now, she won't be, we won't have the same kind of marital relationship there that we do here, but we, she, we will be fellow believers and stuff. And uh, we'd like to talk to Warner. Most of all, we'd like to see the Lord, see the look into the face. That'd be hard to do, to look into the very face of the one who gave his life for me. That is, that is massive. And uh, that, so, but this time of reclining at the table in the kingdom, that's what he's talking about here. He said, many will come and, and recline at the table uh, and they will recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now these are the three big ones in the nation of Israel. All the, the they are the, the icons. They're the, the big guns. And uh, as Siggy used to say, and uh, so here they are, and the privilege of all the Jewish people and the leaders knew that their rank as Jewish people and descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob placed them in the kingdom, and they were sons of the kingdom, they were to inherit the kingdom, and they were just filled with anticipation and joy and wanted to have that deliverance become materializing so that they could go ahead and spend their time in the kingdom and stuff like that. And Jesus said, there are going to be many coming from the east and west, which I think implies outside the nation itself, coming from other places, coming from east, coming from west. And they're going to recline the table, the dinner table with the fellowship. They're going to be with Abraham, Isaac, and the kingdom, uh, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, and most of some of these Jewish leaders would, would consider themselves as being right there. They are the sons of the kingdom. I got it. I have it in my name. I have it in my family heritage. I can trace, trace my ancestry. The sons of the kingdom, though, he says, they're going to be stopped at the door. You don't come in. You don't belong here. They're going to be cast out into outer darkness. That's the opposite of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, they're going to be in that place where they'll be torment, weeping, gnashing of teeth, anger, frustration. This is real. This is fact. 
This is what Jesus was saying. The kingdom is a place of fellowship. It's a place of joy. It's a place of communion. It's the highest privilege that we are to be at, to be where the Lord is, to be where his people is, and to be there worshiping and serving him. And that's what we have, if we're in the kingdom, can look forward to. But the sons of the kingdom, those that right now, I don't, I don't, I don't mean everybody, but those that pride themselves and in, in reject the, the, the Lord and his word and his truth and have seen him as an intrusion in their little world, these who are supposed to be in the kingdom are going to be cast out. The sons of the kingdom will no longer be in the kingdom. That's a sad thing. That wakes me up to the realities I told you before. As you get older, you really examine yourself. You want to be sure that you're faithful. You want to be sure that you know the Lord, that you're not going to be one of those who the Lord's going to stop at the door and say, depart from me, or I never knew you. I just, that, that blows my mind. And yet, uh, that very likely can happen. How do we know for sure that we're saved? How do we know for sure that we are part of the Lord's kingdom? We look back to a time we walked the aisle. Uh, there are many people that do that, and they're lost, and we know that. We look back to people who have members and membership in churches and things like that. But is your walk with the Lord, is it a fellowship with him now? Do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Uh, I'm getting ready, trying to compose a Christmas card, and the Christmas card this year has the main theme, Jesus um, um, I am the light of the world, is what he said. I am the light. And uh, but John tells us that the light has come, but men loved, pursued, embraced, and sought after darkness and turned their back on the light. They won't be they will be lost because the light has come. But men love darkness rather than light. You have to ask yourself the question do you pursue the things of the world? Is that the main priority of your life? That's what I have to ask myself. We have to ask ourselves that. Are we fruitful, or is there, are we like the the, uh, the the seed gospel seed that was sown among the parable of the sower? It was sown in soil that had the shallow that had the weeds infected in it, and it means that that particular response to the gospel it uh, did not bring fruit to maturity. Maybe started something like that, but it, I don't know if you've ever had a garden where you. You have fruit that starts out like that and then it kind of withers up and, and dies or whatever. Larry shaking his head, so I know he's had that before. <laughs> oh, Debbie, okay. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's, what I'm trying to say is it's a serious question to ask yourself about your relationship with the Lord. And so talking about the kingdom, um, what kind of kingdom <coughs> is it uh, for? Or reserved for. I, I think that God reserves his kingdom as the best, for the best. Hebrews says that uh, believers, those who suffered, those that um, have put Jesus first, have put their, their lives on the line and walked close to the Lord. He, the Hebrews calls them uh, people of whom the world is not worthy. And that, that's a strong, strong statement. And of course, we can use that praise and try to pat ourselves on the back that you know the world's not worthy of us but that's not the idea it's that the, that we're those who put jesus first in a world that's hostile the world that's against them but yet in fact jesus is saying it's not that we are an intrusion of the world it's that the world is that we're better in the sense that we have put jesus first and we want to follow him but that's that's it's not because of our worship it's just because we've made the right choice 
And God is good to us. He's good to use us. And so listen to this word talking about the people that inherit the kingdom. This is from Matthew chapter 25. And it's talking about the Lord coming in his glory. It says, and this, this moment when the Lord comes in his glory, uh, in a time of revelation, that moment has been um, exalted by a number of writers as, as a point of great honor and privilege when we stand and have at the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end when he comes. And so just listen to this. This is from Matthew 25, and uh, the Lord is speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, you got to imagine that, picture that. The glory is a splendor. It's magnificence. It's, it's beautiful. The world is going on its way. It's doing its own thing. It has its own newscast. It has its programs and commentators. The politicians with their signs that they put up for vote for me and all this kind of stuff. Uh, regular, uh, we get reports of, of having different uh, taxations and other things like that. The price of gas also, the food and things are going up. The world is busy. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, in his splendor, and all the angels with him, this is going to be something different. This is not going to be the, the typical um, presidential trip that's going to be made. The new the cameras are there to, to watch the plane when it lands and the president gets off. Whoever the president is, this is not this. This is something much greater. This is when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, and He will sit on His glorious throne. He will sit on the throne of His glory. I I don't know how to analyze that other than it's going to be glorious song it's going to be magnificent it's going to be beautiful and splendid this is a time in which the one who had been rejected before and and scorned and and uh, even crucified is now going to be sitting on the throne of his glory and the the tables are going to be reversed and all the nations are going to be brought before him and all the nations will be gathered which is a way of saying they will be summoned and assembled before him so he is going to be on the throne. They are going to be before him. And he will separate them one from the other as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And that would be a scene that the Jewish people would know. Shepherds go out and they have the goats and they, they can call the sheep and separate them. That would a dog sometimes too. But they can separate them pretty easily. And this is what the Lord is saying is going to happen. They're going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He is the dividing line. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Then the king. The king is the one who is sovereign in the, in the kingdom. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father. You want to hear those words? I do. Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit. Remember the word inherit carries with it the idea of, of receiving by a lot, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you. This magnificent kingdom and the rule and everything, we think it's for the Lord because it's his throne and stuff, but no, he says here is the kingdom. He's got his glorious throne and the kingdom is that which exists and has been prepared says, Blessed my Father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the kingdom is not just kind of an accidental byproduct, but it's a kingdom 
that exist visibly on the earth and that there are those in that kingdom who do not belong there and he's going to separate he's going to bring the nations and clear out the nations and hope bring gather his sheep together do you understand that they're going to be assembled together before him we're going to be assembled together before him i like that better and uh, this kingdom has been prepared and i always get the idea when i read this passage and passages like that that the lord has been very busy doing some planning and preparation for a long time and there's one of the things that's interesting is you never find a place where uh, he has to back up and make some changes because he made a mistake here or made a mistake there no mistakes no reversals we the word is used sometimes around repentance with the lord when it says he repented that he made the people this way but all of these things happen within his foreknowledge and they all fit into the perfect plan of his will and so here he is in this kingdom and he is prepared for those who are blessed for the Lord. That's the term he uses. And that would include us, those that are blessed by the Father. We think of our blessing coming from Jesus, but God the Father is involved in that too. And so is the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity. We are, I, I start to say experiment. That's not the right word. It's not a, we're not an experiment. We are a display. Uh, we are the evidence of the fact that he by his majesty and glory and great grace can take rebels like us and work in our hearts, pay for our sin and bring us to himself. And then we become aggressive participants in building his kingdom, submissive to the king because we want to, because we want to. And, and we do that. And that's, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, He says another thing uh, in talking about uh, separating the, the tares from the wheat. Uh, this is not in that passage. This is in Matthew 13. He, he makes it clear that he was been speaking in parables. He says, uh, these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he was not speaking to them without a parable, so that what was spoken to the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden from the foundation of the world. Jesus spoke to the people but he didn't he spoke to the people but he had a, a another enlarged message if you will for those that were his disciples that, that his message would create questions i know what that's like because i i read when i read the scripture many times i come up and i'm not sure if i really understand that passage and i wonder why he does that and wonder why he says it that way or whatever and it makes you stop, it does me, it makes me start searching the passages. Usually the best place to go is in the context to see who's talking to and what he's saying. Sometimes the, the words that are used matter, or not sometimes they do, but sometimes they help if you take do a word study with one or two words that are being used. But here, Jesus is saying that he's not speaking to everybody on the same level. Uh, it says he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him and asked him to explain he had been talking to them about the, the tares of the field and they wanted to know what does that mean what are you saying and so he answered and said to them that the one who sows the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world and as for the good seed these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one so you get the picture here in this kingdom again that you have here uh, in this visible kingdom it's like 
it's like the church really where you have the visible church and you have people in this visible church that are members but they're really not saved they're really not part of it and you have a smaller group in the visible church who have surrendered to the lord and they are submissive do you understand what i'm saying and it's kind of that get pictures of what i get and so uh, he says um these are the sons of the kingdom and the terrors of the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them as the devil and the harvest is the end of the age this is all very graphic language of something that's actually going to happen and the reapers are the angels and just so the tares are gathered and burned with fire and so it will be at the end of the age the son of man will send forth his angels they will gather out of his kingdom the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into a fiery furnace in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So notice there, you have the tares that are going to be burned, and you have the righteous that are going to be brought together, and they're going to, they're going to, we're going to shine. We're going to be, and I, I what does that mean? I think it, it's just a way of saying that there's going to be a visible display that God has been working in our life, that we are his children, that it's going to be obvious. I, I, I've teased people before about when we get to heaven, we're going to be in our, we're going to be righteous, we won't recognize each other. But and there, there may be some truth to that, because I know that there's going to be a major transformation in my life, and, and I'm sure there will be in yours as well. Uh, I am looking forward to meeting my wife, by the way, when I get to heaven. I'm anxious to see her. Uh, but anyway, this is a, this is, this is a picture of the kingdom, and there are those that are there in the kingdom that are going to be removed. And uh, it makes the question, who will not be in the kingdom? Who is not going to inherit the kingdom? I'm going to give you three passages. I know I'm kind of getting into this, but there are three passages of scripture that lists uh, deeds of the flesh, maybe is a way of saying it, that will prevent us from getting into the kingdom. So let me give them to you. Um, they were an eye-opener to me when I read through them, when I saw what's included in these lists. So let me read them to you. First, first Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And why does he say that? Obviously, because there's a place where we're easily deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither sexual immoral, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus. Uh, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That's one list. That's found in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 9-11. second one is probably, as you imagine, is Galatians 5. It talks about the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh, this is verse 19, Galatians 5, 19. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexually, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. One more verse, and that's Ephesians 5. For this you know with certainty, that is, without doubt, that no one that is sexually immoral or impure or greedy who is an idolater who has has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So these are the things that are telling us that those who are living in sexual immorality. By the way, that really pointed out to me. In all three of these lists, the first item that's listed in there has to do with sexual immorality. The first one in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, etc., etc. In Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh, uh, talks about uh, flesh is evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensual, sensuality. And the first one in the list of Ephesians 5, but this you know for certainty beyond doubt that no one who is no one sexually immoral or impure or greedy, etc., etc. The first item in these three lists has to do with sexual impurity or sexual immorality. That is one reason why I ask you to pray for me, because I'm vulnerable, because I'm a bachelor and I can go out and do what I want to do. That's the big temptation. It really is. And so we need to pray for each other. But these are things that, that mark the life that's living in the flesh, that has turned its back. You know what I'm saying? That turned its back on the Lord. And these are areas that will keep you, I shouldn't say keep you, these are areas that mark the, identify the life that is not going into the kingdom. Now, salvation changes the life. And uh, those, so if you're having trouble with these things, you, you repent of your sin and turn to Christ, and you will, you, you're, you're secure in Christ. Because his work is sufficient. The work of Christ on the cross is sufficient to pay for our sin. Amen. Aren't you glad? Because otherwise we'd all be lost. <clears throat> Um, one of the maybe one other passage, and and, uh, and that is um, in Luke 18, uh, where the disciples, the people, were bringing to Jesus their babies. Their, that's the term for infants. They were little babies. Uh, and the term that that particular term means that the ones that were bringing the children must have been mothers because the babies would would be nursing babies and two they're not just children in one of the one of the gospels that uses the word children which includes larger children too but here it's infants said so they brought their babies to him so that he would touch them but when the disciples saw this they were rebuking uh them it didn't have an effect they were rebuking him and jesus called to them saying permit the children uh, and the word children there means children regardless of age, children to come to me and do not hinder them. Listen, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never, that's a double negative, will never under any circumstances nor any conditions enter into it. That's a strong word. Uh, in Mark 10's account, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant 
and said to them, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's the second time, almost exactly the same phrase. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not, under any circumstances, enter it. The third passage, which is actually the, in Matthew, says, Since some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them, for coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So these three passages contain almost exactly the same phrase. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's uh, Luke, Matthew, Mark says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Matthew says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as those, as these. So what he's saying here is that the qualification of the divine mark of those that are in the kingdom, I think, is that we're, there's an innocence. We don't come with presuppositions. And, and our own bias and stuff like that, but we come as children. And I don't know how you want to define that, but as Pete mentioned this morning uh, in the upper room, the disciples were trying to learn that lesson, and Jesus had to show them that it's not everybody that's that's boastful and proud that's going to be in the kingdom, but God is, he wants the meek. He, he chooses. He, his, his kingdom is made differently from the armies of the world, uh, and it just consists of those who are in surrender and and uh, in peace. Let me uh, go to one passage more, and I'm done uh, because it's, it's. I think it's good. This is Second Peter. You take your Bible, turn over to Second Peter, chapter one. I'm going to show you. This is an extended verse, so it's going to take a moment. But I want you to see it because it's closing down our study on uh, the kingdom. Um, Peter is writing, and he's saying, seeing that his divine power. This is Second Peter one three. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Okay, now here's the kind of the provision, if you will, that he is, that the Lord Peter is saying that God has provided for us for our Christian life. Uh, he's everything that's, that's uh, necessary uh, for life and godliness. Life and godliness is a way of just describing this life. There's the physical part of life and the spiritual religious part of it. Life being lived and having the wholesome of living, as well as the godliness, the, the piety in our life, the display of that. And so he's provided everything that's necessary for that, but he's done it through, and he uses the term full knowledge. He's provided everything necessary for life and godliness through the full knowledge, the intimate, personal, relational knowledge of Christ, of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So, and this is his provision that he's, he's provided for us. He's given us this full knowledge. Um, this knowledge is knowledge of the one who has called us by his own glory and excellence. And I realize it's kind of wordy, but what he's saying here is that the one who called us is the Lord. He's glorious, he's majestic, he's wonderful, and he is the one who has called us. And by his own greatness by his own majesty by his own worship when he called us effectually to himself he was able to bring us effectively to him he called us by that worship that makes it, makes him who he is and so here is peter saying he's the lord has provided everything for his life and godliness uh, through this full knowledge the one who called us by his own excellence and worship that's salvation for by these uh, and, and the phrase there, when he says, by these, he's granted us his precious promises. I think he's talking about the greatness of the person of Christ. By the greatness of the person of Christ, the majesty, his worship, 
he has granted us or bestowed on us. The word granted is used twice in that text, by the way. It's used at the beginning. He says his divine power has granted us. Here, he's saying by these, this glory and majesty, he has granted to us his precious, which means costly, and magnificent, which is the only place that's used in the scripture, is exceedingly great promises. God never lies. Never makes a mistake. He knows the end from the beginning. But he's written down in the book some specific promises and people to whom they qualify. Those are precious and they're magnificent. It's a contractual form. It's worthy of, of learning them and understanding them. And that's why when we preach, we don't have to use, I hope this is going to happen or I wish that this would, he would do this, but we know for certain what he says. He's clear. It is a stutter. So we want to study the contract. We want to invest in the time to know what he says, how we can profit from that and be blessed from that and, and be used of him to bless others. And so by these, these precious, costly, magnificent promises he's given to us so that by those promises and by those things, you may become partakers of the divine nature of this referring to regeneration, you may become partakers of the divine nature, which changes your heart, gives you a desire to do his will and an ability, because as you are right now, or as you are before this, you don't want to do it. You want to do your own thing. We come to the world, want to do our own thing. But he changes us. And so he, he uh, by these, this greatness of his promises, um, he enables us to, to uh, Protectors of the divine nature, uh, having escaped that idea of having escaped by flight, the corruption that is in the world. So here is this the provision that he's provided for us. Uh, and then he, he gives us kind of uh, the process, if you will. I don't know if that's the best term, but he says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence to your faith, supply moral excellence and from moral excellence knowledge. And let me just stop there for a moment and just ask you to notice this. The list he's going to give us now is building upon itself, which I think is a way of describing a, a progression, prog progressive sanctification, a progress of growing. And so it's not that we have, we have everything available, and that's what he just said, we have everything necessary for life and godliness, but now as we apply that, it, we have to grow in it. There's, it is a slow application. So that's what he's saying here. He says, now for this very reason, verse 5, this is 2 Peter 1, for this very reason, apply all diligence. That word diligence just means zeal. Now, let me just say one other thing here, and I know it's, that, but this is important. Uh, we know that salvation is of God. We know that we can't work our way into the kingdom. There's nothing we can do to justify ourselves. But the Lord still, once he calls us, he wants us to cooperate with him. And here, Peter is saying, you apply all diligence. You be zealous. Put all your effort into this. To cooperate with him because here's where the growth comes here's where the profit comes so that's what he says for this very reason applying all diligence to your faith supply or super supply supply what can't be supplied supply uh, moral excellence that has that has to do with deeds of excellence deeds of worship and then your moral excellence knowledge that's knowledge of the lord and from the scripture so we're, we're building we, we want to be morally clean, we want to have a moral, a good life, 
We want to be faithful in studying the scriptures so we get knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control. Uh, we get a lot of knowledge. We need to control our passions and, and be under self-control. Control your master, your own, your, your own spirit and your heart. And in your self-control, perseverance. Don't quit. Don't get tired. Don't get exasperated. I can tell you, you'll get tired after a while. Following the Lord is not always a piece of cake, is it, Pete? The will, the well. So, and in your perseverance, godliness, that is piety, that is holiness of life. And in your godliness, your brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kind, love for the brethren. And then love, that is uh, love displayed in doing good for the, in doing what's best for other people. These, that's a list of things that he's given to us: moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. He started out here by giving the provision. Now he's given us the process. From the process, notice what he says here. He says, this is uh, kind of the, the, the picture here. That he says, if these things, that list of things he's given us, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a lot of words. Here's a place where the language doesn't seem to make good sense. You would think it would say they render you useful and fruitful, but it doesn't. It says they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord. And I looked around to try to find it. I honestly don't know the best places to go for that. But as I look at it in my life, I think one of the things he's saying here is that uh, we're going to be fruitful, but we may not always see the fruit. We may not be what we're looking for. We may not be changing the world. But he says, if you do these things, you won't be fruitless. You won't be unfruitful. God promises that, uh, that, that these things will, will, will be in your life. You won't be useless. You won't be unfruitful in the overflowing experiential knowledge of Christ. That's his promise. If, if you're doing these things, but if you don't do these things, verse 9, for in whom these things are not present, uh, that one, he uses a number of interesting terms. He's first of all blind and being nearsighted. And having forgotten the purification from his sins. So if you don't do these things, if you're just ignoring this, these things in your Christian life and just kind of go on, all of a sudden you become blind. What does that mean? It means you can't see. And, you, and you, 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 he uses the phrase nearsighted there, which means that as you look out, all of a sudden, instead of seeing the great panorama of what God is doing and the future he has and the blessings he has and the forgiveness of your sins, you lose that. And you become nearsighted, and now your world is tied up with the immediate problems. A problem here, a problem there, a difficulty there. All of these things popping up right around you as you're trying to go. And you forget the relationship that you have. You begin to lose sight of that, and you become blind. You become nearsighted, and you can't, can't see beyond the next problem. And every day it's some new, new, you see what I'm saying? A new difficulty, a new problem, a new explosion of, of uh, irritations that kind of fall, that fall on your, in your lap. And so he's saying, uh, if you don't put those things in, that's what's going to happen. Therefore, brothers, he says, verse 10, this is kind of the conclusion. Therefore, brother, be all the more diligent or certain or, or aggressive to make your calling and election sure. I like the word election. That's what King James says. What does he mean? How can you make that? I mean, election was, was established before the foundation of the earth. What he's talking about there is to cooperate with him so you can guarantee it, so that you cooperate with that. That, that God's calling in your life, you cooperate. Don't, don't drag your feet. Be all the more diligent to cooperate with him and to put every effort into that 
for in doing these things, you'll never stumble. That stumble means lose your salvation or backslide out of the faith or whatever. Uh, he uses what's so good here is a new number of places in the New Testament where he uses a double negative, where the double negatives are found. Many, many of those places, people use those double, double negatives. Peter used it when he said, I will never in any circumstances deny you, Lord. And there, there I can give you a list. I don't have them written down there, but there are many places where man has used the double negative, and every single one, they were wrong. They did what they said they would never do. Everyone. But the Lord used the double negative, and like Peter used it here on the inspiration, and this is absolutely certain, where he says, doing these things, you will never, under any circumstances, under any conditions, stumble. So if you add these things to your faith, you put these things in, you will not stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied. What he's saying here is that we cooperate with the Lord in our relationship and this, he's given us his divine power, these precious, magnificent promises. We are to add to our faith these things and he will see to it that we are in the kingdom and it will be abundantly supplied. That's a good word. That's a good hope. That's a good truth. He is faithful. He is good. Uh, he loves us. He is not, I love the idea that he is not looking for another plan because really and truly, there are many things in my life that I can say are failures. And I'm sure you can see things in your life where you've made mistakes and done things that are, that are, are messed up. And, you know, you almost feel like the, the Lord, the, the potter ought to take us and just start all over and do something like that that make a new plan. God doesn't do that. He's able to take the messed up vessels and and use them to carry the precious treasure of the gospel and uh, help us to honor him. And so we're part of his kingdom uh, and that kingdom does exist now, but it also exists in the future. It will be purged and cleaned, but we will be there shining as the brightness of the stars. My grandmother used to say, talk about that. <clears throat> and uh, will be very obvious because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in our hearts and lives. He's good to us. He really is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these few moments and for this word. Um, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. There's so much that we're talking about um, vessels that are unworthy. That certainly is true with me, and I'm sure it's true with all of us. And yet you love us and you care. Help us, we were talking this morning uh, about repentance. Help us to grant us genuine repentance. Don't let one of us in this room walk out of here not being absolutely committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and surrendering to you. And help us to really love you. And help us as a church to be effective. We're living in a world that needs to hear from you. Help us to be part of that voice. Give us wisdom to know. John has written a letter to leaders. That's not a bad idea. Help us to, to speak to those around us, too, to be very vocal that this nation is not uh, sovereign by itself, that you're in charge and you uh, have a purpose and a plan for us as your children. So help us to fulfill that and to honor your call in our lives and to glorify our blessed Savior. And we ask it in his name with thanksgiving. Amen.